not a bar, it's not a restaurant where we have to worry about where is that revenue coming from. Um, other than, you know, if people don't work or have money, then they can't necessarily buy cannabis. Put your grinder down and turn your radio up. This is the Vermont You Wanna Podcast. Lighting up the airwaves. And now, here's your host, rolling it up nice and tight, Eli Harrington. Welcome, everybody, to the Vermontawana podcast, recording this on Easter Eve. So, uh, happy Easter, Zombie Jesus Day, Quarantine Day 28, whatever you want to call it. We're back. It's been a little bit too long, longer than we would have liked, but unfortunately, the uh, the COVID, quarantine, all that, it kind of set us back for a week. We're still trying to figure out what we're going to do with Vermont Awana events. We have one on the books for July 24th at Castleton, Vermont, the Southern Vermont Cannabis Expo and Symposium, and still kind of going back and forth on if we're going to have this thing or not. Uh, we'll make that decision in the next week or so, but... We talked about cannabis events last episode. Meredith Mann from Magic Man VT. Want to give them a shout out. Next week at this time, we would be partying with everybody um, for 420, but we are obviously not doing that because times have changed. And you'll hear our first interview tonight is actually with a Vermont artisan named Laura Sullivan, who is producing hemp face masks. Uh, you know, it's fucked up that this is a necessity, but uh, this is where we're at in the world. And so it's cool that people from the cannabis community are stepping up in different ways. And uh, Laura's quote that you guys will hear later on, which was phenomenal. She said, when crisis happens, you can be a victim or a responder. And the best way for her to use her skills are to make hemp face masks. So that's a really cool interview. We've also got our featured interview tonight with Matt Kowarski, who hopped on a bus from Florida, Florida man, made it out, went from a head shop in Florida to uh, riding the wave of increasingly legal cannabis, working in Denver, and then uh, most recently for the last few years in outside of Seattle. So we talked to Matt Kowarski tonight for our featured interview. He works at The Novel Tree. They're in Bellevue, Washington. And uh, we talked about what it's like to be an essential worker right now and what it's like working at a medical cannabis dispensary, his perspective from all these years in the game, and what he's seen happening out there right now. Uh, spoiler alert, he said that when the announcement came out, they had one of their biggest weeks ever, and that just like people were making a run on groceries, on toilet paper, people went out and bought their Macs uh, at that dispensary. So we're really excited for that interview. That's gonna come up a little bit later. In the meantime, there is still shit happening in the world that relates to cannabis. So, um, you know, I thought that this would probably be a good chance to, uh, to throw a little bit of news out there, starting with the most important significant story, the passing of Charlotte Figgy from Charlotte's Web fame. Uh, this one is kind of complicated. I mean, it was really, really tragic when this happened, and I don't think you can really um, give too much credit for, for what Charlotte and really what her, her parents and the people around them, and including the Stanley brothers, um, 
did to help mainstream CBD and cannabis in general. Because what you had with Charlotte Figgy was such a clear example of cannabis helping people and of people who are innocent needed to be helped and were finding real relief. You know, so for those who are unfamiliar, she had a very rare form of, uh, uh, it's not a form of epilepsy, but it's related called Dravet syndrome. And there are other people around the country, including here in Vermont, who have this terrible disease. And her parents found that high doses of cannabis, and in particular, CBD, were helping to manage that condition. So they moved to Colorado, they started working with the Stanley Brothers, and through that process created Charlotte's Web, which was named after Charlotte and became kind of the first big national mainstream CBD product. So. We learned that Charlotte Figgy just passed away at the age of 13, which is, is hard to believe. Um, she's been kind of a hero in this scene for the last four or five years, even as just a child. Uh, but she passed away due to complications from coronavirus and, um, you know, accomplished a lot in her short life. And also, you know, was the subject of a lot of political, um, you know, ended up being the, the tool of a lot of people's political ambitions and motivations. And, you know, us here in Vermont, I say us, myself included, uh, you know, looking at that story, looking at that example, being able to share that with lawmakers. I'll tell you, it sped up cannabis normalization quite a bit in general. Um, and what it really did was help launch CBD because before 2015, CBD was not really mainstream. It wasn't really out there. Charlotte's Web was the first national product. And a lot of the reason that this happened was because there were parents of other Dravet syndrome kids who were saying, how the hell do we get this opportunity? We can't all move to Colorado. These guys are making a product. It might work for our kids and it won't get them high. How do we try this? So, um, you know, the reason that we're able to make CBD products today in 2020 and send them across state lines without that same stigma, without that same illegality, is really in large part due to Charlotte Figgy and, uh, and her parents. Um, and I want to give a big shout out to Annie Galloway, who was here in Vermont, very active 2014, 15, 16, as a parent advocating for children to uh, and their families to have access to this. And she was a big part of that network. So um, you know, really need to start out by, by mentioning Charlotte, Charlotte's Web. That will go down in cannabis history. And again, five years seems like, uh, it seems like forever right now. It's like in the cannabis scene, it seems like things are measured in dog years. But it wasn't that long ago. And my, how things have changed. So um, rest in peace to Charlotte Figgy. Um, big props to everybody who is involved and to the Stanley Brothers as well. They get a lot of weird flack, I think, from people who are jealous of their success. Um, but you know, these people did so much to mainstream cannabis and show that it could be a medicine for everybody, you know, including children. So, you know, that's the most significant thing that, um, that happened recently and that happened this week and it had to do with CBD. Um, on the kind of the other end of the spectrum, I don't know if you guys know who Kyle Turley is. Kyle Turley was a uh, former NFL lineman and for the past few years has been, uh, very outspoken cannabis advocate for athletes, uh, for everybody. You know, he's somebody who said CBD saved his life. Cannabis saved his life um, with a lot that was happening, concussion related. Um, also just quality of quality of life as a former athlete. And he's been a really strong, outspoken advocate. Uh, he's also taken it way too far at certain points in time. And he kind of got slapped on the wrist because he's out there talking about CBD uh, being a cure or a treatment for coronavirus. We all know that, you know, you're not supposed to say CBD can do anything, 
right? Because these statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. Um, so you can't put it on your packaging, yada, yada, yada. Kyle Turley, who again has done a lot more good than harm uh, to this community, was out here talking about CBD, curing, treating, being good for coronavirus. You know, me personally, I think that having a balanced endocannabinoid system, probably good for everything, right? Um, you know, the more imbalanced your, your body and your system are, the least likely you are to get sick. So I understand the logic, but you can't go say that. And uh, and Mr. Turley got a few letters from the FDA. He also got a whole bunch of shit on Twitter from um, from journalists and advocates. And uh, you know, right right to call him out. But it's uh, it's always hard to see advocates calling out other advocates. And uh, you know, and I really trust that Kyle's heart was in the right place. But again, there's just some shit that you can't say. And he was really out there being like, "Fuck you, FDA. Find me. Go ahead. You know, I don't care." So. Um, you know, nobody ever doubted the man's balls and uh, and his commitment to the game. But that was national news. And related to that, it's all CBD right now. Um, Epidiolex. Epidiolex was completely descheduled, removed from the FDA list. That means it is no longer going to require special permissions to be prescribed by physicians. So this is one of those little things that kind of gets buried. And uh, I give Hemp Industry Daily credit. They're the ones who reported this first. That little nugget of information, Epidiolex, which is the first and right now the only cannabis product that's been approved by the FDA, right? GW Pharmaceuticals, they basically got a, a drug patent for what is essentially a CBD tincture that you could go buy over the counter. I think it's 1,500 milligrams in, like a, uh, in a small tincture with sunflower oil, right? So um, a lot of the same pretty identical to a lot of the products you find out there, even now at the gas stations. Um, but this product had been patented by GW Pharmaceuticals, and now the FDA has clarified that it is descheduled. So that less regulation on the prescribing of Epidiolex means that it's going to become much, much more widely available. And, uh, and that is definitely big news. Um, that is BFD a big fucking deal. So that was big news. The only other thing to report nationally uh, is basically with coronavirus fucking up all the political schedules, there are a lot of states that are not going to move forward with cannabis reforms this year. New York and Connecticut just came out recently and pretty much shut the door saying, we've got better shit to do. Not better. We've got bigger, more important stuff to do. Uh, and we're probably not going to have time during the legislative session. Those are two states that people thought were really close. New York, Connecticut, New Jersey are all right there on the precipice. And when they go and that tri-state goes, it's going to be game changer. Because now we're going to have New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, all those people, whatever, those 50 million people in and around New York City with access to legal cannabis. And it's not going to be tenable to have one state, one state that has it and two others right next door that don't. So New York and Connecticut looked like some really big dominoes that were going to fall this year. And uh, now thanks to the Rona, um, it's not going to happen or at least be delayed. So bad news, but with everything else going on in the world, maybe not a shock. That brings us to our final news update segment before we get into our interviews uh, tonight. And we do have some really, really fun ones. Uh, what the fuck's going on here in Vermont? This is Vermontawana, the Vermont Cannabis Podcast. So obviously we're paying attention to this. And basically, um, I have not felt comfortable asking any politicians about their cannabis plans yet. There's just way too much stuff that's still happening. There are, 
you know, 20% of Vermonters are uh, applying for unemployment, myself included. So it's just not tactful for me to start asking, hey, are we going to be able to pass cannabis right now? Are we going to do it this year? Are we going to get to it? I am going to ask those questions, but I'm probably going to give it another week or so. Uh, because again, the Vermont economy is already in absolute ruins and it's going to be bad folks. Even if we're able to have a summer tourism season missing March, April, May, uh, you know, half of June, that's going to be a really, really big deal and pretty devastating. So there is a very strong economic argument to be made right now that, Hey, why isn't cannabis legal? As we're going to talk about with our featured guest, Matt Kowarski, it's essential in states that it's operating. You know, now some of them have said only medical and not recreational, which we talk about with Matt. But, um, you know, in Vermont, we've got takeout liquor. We've got delivery booze. That's something we never thought would happen. So it's not that much of a stretch to go from, hey, if this disaster has uh, has made takeout and delivery alcohol acceptable, then cannabis, which is way less harmful than alcohol, should be available legally. Right. Seems like a no brainer. Um, and I think it's an argument that's going to pick up steam again, because we just, we need jobs. We need revenue. Uh, and again, as we talk about with Matt, cannabis is still being bought and sold right now. Just none of it's happening legally here in Vermont. Uh, I will tell you from talking to some friends in the, in the, uh, I don't call it the illicit market. I don't call it the black market. I call it the not yet licensed market from talking to some friends in the not yet licensed market. Uh, they're crushing it, man. I mean, there's no less cannabis being consumed right now in Vermont. If anything, there is more, you know, a lot more people looking for edibles and buying edibles because smoking is never a good idea, but especially, uh, especially frowned upon right now. Um, but you know, the cannabis demand is pretty much unchanged. And I think that's something that politicians have still yet to figure out is that whether it's legal or not. The demand is high, and the more that it's legal and more socially acceptable, the more people want legal access to it. So um, will the Rona lead to regulation in Vermont in all these other states? Will it end federal prohibition because everybody's just hurting for a new economy and we need more jobs and we need business and we need commerce? Uh, and we need to have, you know, uh, aphrodisiacs and, uh, and calming tools that are not, you know, going to ruin our livers and kill us all. Maybe, um, we'll have a clearer sense of what's going to happen here in Vermont in the next few weeks, but it's still just too early to tell. And I'm not going to be the one to ask those questions. So that's where we're at for local news, for national news, for regional news. Drop us a line. If you have questions, if you know, news stories, if we're missing the scoop, let us know what the scoop is. Yeah! This episode of the Vermont Tawana Podcast is brought to you by The Burn Gallery, holding down Burlington, Vermont. These guys started the Pipe Classic, which will be coming later this summer. The home for your heady local glass, the home for your pipes, your smoking accessories, your papers. They're doing curbside. They're still open. They're still on IG, still out there supporting the community. Go check out The Burn Gallery online on Burlington's Main Street, number one in our hearts. Big shout out to the Burn Gallery supporting the podcast. We will see you guys in person soon. Make sure all you guys go check out the Burn Gallery, B-E-R-N, as in feel the burn. Check out theburngallery.com. Check out Pipe Classic and find them on Instagram. Big thanks to the Burn Gallery. We always appreciate your support now more than ever. All right, before we get to our featured interview with Matt Kowarski, 
This story popped up and it was too cool not to feature Laura Sullivan. I've known Laura for a few years now. Um, super talented artist, artisan, uh, maker, weaver, sewer. Um, and as you'll hear, just super heady person who decided to start making her own hemp face mask during Corona. Um, so really, really cool to hear a little bit about her craft, her background as an artist, and to promote these hemp face masks. If you're gonna do it, get a face mask that's compostable. It's all dyed natural material. Just really, really heady stuff. And, uh, and Laura is a very talented individual. So um, Laura's handle for you guys to check out while you're listening to, check out Pipe Dream Hempworks. All right, Pipe Dream Hempworks. They're on Instagram, pipe.dream.hempworks. That's also the website. Without further ado, my conversation with Laura Sullivan. That my passion is culture, hence like studying anthropology and then switching to art. And cultures are created through stories and everything has a story and not all those stories are good. Um, mm. And I wanted to tell good stories with my art. So that's why I kind of set these limitations for myself to work within. That's like I work with natural materials, botanical dyes. Um, vintage fabrics because they already exist um, and just like I want to create good culture I don't want to live in a trash culture like a throwaway culture um, so using the best materials that I have available to me um, is is uh, like the the focal point of like what I'm doing well that is I mean we have we clearly have to have a longer conversation because this is very very heady stuff and I, I look forward to a time of not social distancing and hanging out with you guys because you guys are you guys are in the kingdom right and sort of you're um, you're working as an artist full time right and sort of homesteader too well um, in the era of coronavirus I'm working as an artist full time yes <laughs> you've been you've been liberated from the shackles of, uh, of paid employment is what you're trying to say true yes <laughs> um, but yeah let's totally talk about it because the story continues like the story is a work in progress and um like the hemp i use like well, full transparency yeah, yeah let's um, let's 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 back up even before that and just say like i've been aware of you and familiar and we've talked about doing events together and will in the future and um part of the genesis of this phone call is seeing uh i follow your i follow you on instagram and on facebook and all that on anyways um, and seeing hemp made masks being provided. Um, and so that's kind of the genesis of this, of this phone call before you start talking about the mask, because it is, you know, in a time of Corona, it's an inescapable topic and in everything we're talking about. And, uh, and this is, I think a really good story. So, um, yeah, how this, how this come about? Um, yeah, so my, the whole way I started working with hemp is actually a really short story. It was kind of like a no-brainer um, that I also arrived at when I was working on my thesis. And it's like I heard about it and how sustainable it is. Like sustainable, interpret how you will. But um, what I mean by that is it cleans the soil when you grow it. And it has all these qualities that make it a lot more desirable than cotton um, as a fiber. And like I realized that it was scheduled as like a schedule one drug <laughs> just arbitrarily and I was like that's silly like no not in my not in my culture like <laughs> let's change that and it and it was just like yeah that's what I'm working with here 
Wow. And so that was like, I mean, that was a, a conscientious, I mean, it sounds like everything you do is very conscious and conscientious and, and intentional. Um, and I really love and respect meeting people who, who are able to live that way to, you know, back up their ideals. And so, um, you know, being somebody who is familiar with cannabis, you know, familiar with that culture, even just in passing as a young person, for you, hemp really kind of came about from the sustainability and like, there is nothing more sustainable, I think, from plant fibers. So um, what have you been working on with, with hemp otherwise? And kind of how do you, how do you get your hemp and uh, how did you get inspired to, to start this project? Um, yeah, thank you. That's such a great question. Um, I want to address where I get my hemp. Um, hemp fabric comes from Eastern Europe and China. Like, there's not another market for it. There's not a market for it here. Um, and that's something that, that's a story I want to change. So that's sort of like um, one of my bigger goals that I think about every day. And it's sort of a just just about, like, landing it on Earth when time allows. <laughs> Um, I think this might, I think this is a good time for people to reconsider the global supply chain. So I think, uh, I think this is a really good time to be thinking about sustainable fabric is like, uh, the best option, not just a crazy option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there another question? Sorry. Oh yeah. No, I mean like sourcing, sourcing, the challenge of sourcing your hemp is one thing, but, uh, these face masks aren't the first thing you've made with hemp, right? So how long have you been working with it as a fabric and, Generally, you know, what's this story with, it sounds like it's hard to get, so I assume it's also expensive. Probably pretty hard to source if it's coming from China, you know, you assume half the provenance is fake um, for anything, right? So what are the challenges with working with hemp and what have you done with hemp fabric before these masks? Um, yeah, so I've been working with hemp since 2015. Um, it is very expensive to get because it's pretty heavy, so it's really expensive to ship around, um, which also makes like a local fiber shed option um, really promising. Um, and I like to make like wearable art pieces, I guess is one way to think of them, because they're mostly um, like one of a kind dresses, tops, um, pants skirts um and i do a combination of um hemp fabric botanical dyes vintage fabrics things people give me a lot of people give me fabric because i guess a lot of people have like a stockpile of fabric um so that i'm also working on um a wedding dress right now that has some hemp in it and like a, a recycled 1930s dress in it um so just a lot of um, really rich materials. Very cool. So uh, you as a sustainable fashionista um, and sorcerer, uh, how'd you get the idea to start making face masks during this time of, of COVID and um, what's the response been so far? Um, so I started making masks. I saw that a lot of other makers that I follow were doing that and I heard the CDC recommendation recommendation that we should all be covering our face with something at this time to just prevent the spread of infection. Um, and I think like when crisis hits, you can either be a victim or a responder. And I think this is the best use of my skill sets um, to the crisis at hand. Um, and the response has been 
a little bit overwhelming. Um, like a lot of, I've had a lot of people buying masks, which, um, is just, is just kind of a shock, like to see it kind of like gets, gets like your finger on the pulse of like where everyone's at. And, um, right. And it sort of just hit me like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk about like a command economy, right? Um, I think that people are, I've seen the same thing and I'm sure everybody listening has seen online, you know, the different people sewing and and weaving and making different kinds of masks and yours being made out of hemp. It's so cool because it is a sustainable fiber. And then um, I know we're not making claims about anything, but Indigo, I love that line on the website about Indigo being a known antimicrobial. So, you know, if there is a possible X factor, um, it's nice that you're using a natural organic dye anyways. Um, but maybe even a little extra protection. Yeah, um, and another note on that is I have a compostable option on my website, and the only real difference is that it doesn't have um, a two-inch piece of elastic in it over the bridge of the nose. I make a gather instead, which just takes, like, a bit more time. You have to make, like, three basting stitches and then, like, wiggle them down and then sew, um, sew a regular stitch over that and, like, back stitch a bunch so it's locked in but it works just as well and then at that point the masks are just the hemp fabric cotton cord cotton thread and um plant dye so like i think this is a pandemic we're all hoping it's not gonna last very long so i think it's important for us to be thinking about like our consumption in a way that's not just going to generate more waste because we're all panicking um but i will say that I think these masks would work really well for doing like bucking and trimming because sometimes when I'm bucking I'll get like like a tickle in my throat by the end of the night because it's just like breathing in so much uh shake and whatnot so I'm definitely going to keep mine uh for things like that or like woodworkers or like people who draw with charcoal like you all know absolutely (laughs) I mean that's so funny because it's like um Absolutely. I mean, you know, if anything, this pandemic, I think, is really making people ask and making our government ask, where does shit come from? Right. And like, and how is it made? And, you know, I think that there I I hope that there's a new reverence for people like yourself, you know, who are the makers and the people who have worked hard to figure out how to do this sustainably because it's the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, it's just funny when the Venn diagrams clash and it's like national security and and sustainability come together right yeah and like um i'm not alone in like not really trusting the leadership we have right now and um i just don't think we should keep like relying on governing bodies or like top-down change because um it's going to be too late and like preparedness is best done in advance and i think the virus is supposed to peak on like the 16th maybe um and hopefully after this we really do um i hope we're just all kind of like awake to um to the changes we all have to make personally and uh on a community scale yeah yeah the aftermath of this is going to be uh wild and, and widespread um well i love you know i love having a chance to connect and you know, promote the mass. I'm gonna grab two of them myself as soon as we hop off here. Um, have you seen, are people getting some of the other stuff? Like I love you have the hemp handkerchiefs too, and you have a lot of non-hemp stuff that's equally sustainable and, and beautiful. And uh, 
Um, I encourage if you want to plug, what's the best way for people to check out your, your other work on Instagram and online? Um, Instagram is pipe dream hemp works, um, with dots in between the words pipe dot dream dot hemp works. And the website is pipe dream hemp works.com. And those are the two best ways to get in touch. All right. Nobody wants to wear a mask when we go out. You know, this is like shit out of a sci-fi movie. If we're going to wear masks, then let's wear masks made out of sustainable fiber. Let's support a local artisan, um, you know, and let's do something that's going to try and heal the planet. So maybe, God forbid, we come out of all this crazy shit in a better place than we went in. I know for me, I've been thinking a lot about where does my food come from? Where does the stuff that I need to survive on a day-to-day basis come from? What luxuries can I live without? And my mind was blown when you saw the call for masks go out. All these people who are making and sewing masks and gowns, and it kind of makes you think about old world skills, right? And true sustainability. Who are the farmers? Who are the weavers? Who are the makers? Who are the builders, right? Because you're not always gonna have the internet and your cell phone on hand to solve all your problems. So. Uh, I thought it was really timely, and I'm really proud of Laura for this really cool project and really, really honored that she uh, took a few minutes to speak. And I'm happy to buy two of these masks and supporters, so encourage you to check out Pipe Dream Hempworks. Now, our featured interview. I've been teasing it for 29 minutes, 30 seconds at least. Matt Kowarski. Matt is a Washington State Department of Health certified medical cannabis consultant. That is really significant because as you'll hear, Matt has spent the better part of a decade working in the legal regulated cannabis industry in Denver and now with The Novel Tree in Bellevue, Washington. They're right outside of Seattle. I was introduced to Matt by my best friend, Josh. Josh is the man he's experienced in Denver, in Vermont. Um, He's the one who inspired a lot of this stuff with Vermont Tawana and really heady Vermont too. So um, I wanted to interview Josh and he said, you got to talk to Matt. You know, he's really, really skilled at this. He's been doing this for a long time. And so Matt Kavarsky, who again, certified Washington State Department of Health certified medical cannabis consultant um, who works for The Novel Tree. I hit Matt up because unlike most of us, my friend Josh and my new friend Matt, these guys are still employed. Why? Because Washington State has deemed medical cannabis as an essential service. So, I was talking with my boy Josh, asking what it's like there, why he's still working, what's going on, and uh, and it was a trip. And so I said, look, man, this would be really cool for the podcast. We got to tell people what it's like, what's going on, and um, you know, where do you think things are going to go after this, right? Um, I think a lot of what's happening with this Rona COVID stuff is that it's exposing some stupid laws and regulations. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if every legal state has delivery by the time this is done. Right. So Matt Kovarski was very generous with his time. Uh, We spoke for a little bit close to an hour. We talked about his background. We talked about what's happening in Seattle on the ground. And we talked about, um, again, what sort of shifting based on COVID what he's seeing on the ground at the dispensary, how they operate as a medical dispensary versus an adult use one, right? Because there is a big difference as we hear, uh, and Matt was cool to differentiate that. And in general, uh, where he sees things going after. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Kowarski from The Novel Tree, representing Washington, talking about essential medical cannabis in a time of COVID. You know, going 
back even a little bit further than that. In twenty in two thousand ten, I was working in a head shop in Florida, you know, selling pipes and bongs. But we weren't allowed to say pipes or bongs. It was uh, water pipes for tobacco use only, um, and and that was kind of my first realization that you know you could have a job and make a living in the industry. Um, so I I thought that yeah you know. Uh, Colorado had passed medical cannabis in 2008, and here it is 2010, and I'm still acting like cannabis doesn't exist. Um, so I, I kind of sold my car, packed up some suitcases, and jumped on a bus, and I, I moved to Denver. Um, and I got very lucky on, on the bus ride out to Denver. I actually sat down next to, just completely randomly, a 20-plus year master grower. Um and I just kind of started talking to this guy on the eight-hour bus ride from Kansas to Denver, uh, and I'm just telling him my life story. He's not telling me anything. Uh, and I get to Denver, and he, this guy just basically right away takes me under his wing, um, and eventually I, he teaches me how to grow, and uh, I did that uh, as a... Oh gosh, what was the term? I was a, a caregiver in Colorado for about a dozen patients, and so I grew about 75 plants uh, in my basement. Um, so, and, and my my journey has really been being as legal as possible. Um, so, when I, I was a caregiver in Denver, um, and then I moved, came out uh, to Seattle in about 2012, um, and started getting involved with the medical industry here um, as a as a grower and a bud tender, um, but on a much bigger scale, went from. Uh, about eight lights in the basement in Denver uh, to a, a 40 light grow um, and then eventually to a hundred light grow um, and you know was involved in uh, cloning and breeding and um, learning all the different kind of growing methods hydroponic aeroponic um, learning about soil and microbial tea brews and um, you know, just kind of figuring out what what is the best way to grow cannabis at scale because very few people had ever grown, you know, more than a basement, more than a room. There were very few people that had grown thousands of square feet of cannabis at a time. So we were really trying to figure a lot of things out and growing in not ideal environments um, and really just trying to make the best of it. Uh, and then 2012, um, recreational cannabis passed in Washington. It took till about 2014, the summer of 2014, before it um, was, you know, before they started opening stores. Uh, so I was still doing the, the medical cannabis right up until 2015, 2016, uh, when I found my current job. Uh, at a recreational dispensary, um, which then opened. Uh, so in Washington, since we have recreational cannabis, medical cannabis has really disappeared. Uh, so I actually work at the only standalone medical dispensary in Washington. Um, <laughs> I'm certified through the Washington State Department of Health as a medical cannabis consultant, uh, which just allows me to, to delve deeper and have deeper conversations with people uh, about 
the potential medicinal benefits of cannabis. Um, so I know that there's a lot there. No, man. I mean, it's I'm I'm so I'm I'm so clearly talking to the right person. I mean, the your the the origin story of you know meeting the master grower on the Greyhound. You know, and even just coming from, I mean, congrats for making it out of Florida, and I hope everybody's okay back there because it's a terrifying place, even in not pandemic times. But you know, like just just in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so just like talk about love of the game to pack up there, and I mean, that's you know to get out there in kind of those early days in Denver um, right. and sort of see see how things evolved. And, you know, then like being on the early days in Washington, um, I mean, 2015, you know, I'm just barely starting to to pay attention to what's happening out, out west in a more serious way. And it seems like, sure. you know, both in Denver and Seattle and Colorado and Washington, um, that transition was was kind of wild west, right? Like, what was it really like on the ground with... Because these were places with pretty big medical scenes, so there was a lot of people sort of in the gray area already. Um, sure. But, like, when, when the switch gets gets flipped over, or even, like, we're kind of in that period right now in Vermont, you know, where we have adult All use... Right. Where we have legalization, but regulation not yet. And, uh, mm-hmm. and thankfully, there's not a ton of enforcement attention being paid. Um, and we've got a monster hemp program in this state and, and a lot of people growing, you know, growing CBD who probably, you know, have been growing weed for 30 years and they're all kind of dialing it in. So, I mean, any, any really sketchy experiences in those, in those transitional times? I mean, there's definitely benefit to regulation. Um, when in, in the gray markets, when nobody is testing the products, when no one is, is checking, I've definitely worked for people that were spraying pesticides that, you know, shouldn't be used in general, spraying pesticides late in the harvest cycle, just really doing whatever they had to do to make a buck because, you know, it was still, at the end of the day, it was still basically illegal. So we, you know, I grew, I, one of the places I worked, we grew upstairs and then, we would sell it downstairs um and no one in between that was checking in on what we were doing no one was testing for any kind of potency levels the idea of testing for terpenes at the time wasn't even on anyone's radar um so i mean we could say whatever we wanted and you know it's it's not anything that i think is, is good but it was the reality of it um was that people were you know, growing less than ideal product and calling it medical grade. Um, the amazing thing that has happened since, you know, legalization and recreational has really been uh, the transparency and the testing. Um, where we're now seeing, you know, some of the companies that we work with, they're testing for not just molds, mildews, mycotoxins, any residual pesticides, not that they're these places are even using pesticides after they've gotten, been able to get their crows dialed in over the course of the last few years. But they're also testing for expanded cannabinoids and terpene profiles, which is giving us a great idea of what is this weed that's actually in front of me, what what's actually in it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely sketchy. Um but without the, those people, and, you know, it's, I still feel weird about counting myself amongst that because I, 
feel like I was just really lucky to be there for it. Um, these people that really took a risk and put their, you know, risk going to jail and put a lot of money on the line to do this. Um, they were also, a lot of people were hustling and trying to make a buck and didn't always have uh, people's best interests at hand. Right. And I think, you know, I think from, from being in the, in the scene here in Vermont, it's like, we want to be, you want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And I think people sort of romanticize that everybody who's in the gray area is like some righteous, noble, you know, person. And the, the, the bottom line is a lot of people are, are hustlers and a lot of people are going to cut corners and, you know, and whatever, whatever they got to do. And, and, you know, that part of the, of the gray and the black market has to be determined too, because it all looks the same on Instagram. Right. And, uh, once you get, once you get it into that Mylar bag, it's all reputation. So it's, you know, um, that transition is, is tough. And, and I think it's, it's difficult. I mean, we're in a unique spot here in Vermont because our medical program has been so small and restricted, you know, but, um, and we have, we have a small population, but, you know, from, from from knowing Josh and from being friends with people who have who have been on the medical side and, you know, my background, Mark Tucci's the guy who taught me about cannabis advocacy because he became a patient and activist because he has MS, you know. And so um, the, the closer people are to medical cannabis, the more they believe in it, right, because they see it really oh, happening. Absolutely. And... You know, that's that's part of what I wonder is getting lost in this in this whole thing. And I'm curious for you, you know, if you go back in time and see how things are transitioning, you know, are patients able to transition over or, you know, do we do we really need two systems? And, you know, what's the what what do you what's your take on kind of that having gone through it twice? Um, I, I think that it's it's really important to have two systems because um, I think when we only had medical and you had, you know, uh, to, to steal from half-baked, the uh, doctor says I need a bachyotomy. So you <laughs> yeah, got a medical exactly. card. <laughs> when really, they're, they're just recreational users. So, um, so now that we have recreational and no one has to pretend what their intent is, I've been able and we've been able to really emphasize and focus true medicinal cannabis. Um, for us, that, that definition is clean cannabis is our definition. It's not CBD is medical and THC is recreational. Um, it's, it, is this product grown in a way that is, is pesticide free where they're taking care to make sure that there's no, um, no mold or mildew or mycotoxins because we work with a lot of immunocompromised people where if they're going to be consuming something, it can't have anything that's other than natural and pure clean product. Um, so we've, we've having the separate space and the emphasis on medical, you know, we can have people come in and most people are just using it for pain, sleep, or anxiety. Um, but when someone comes in and they have MS or they have Parkinson's or cancer or epilepsy, um, Lyme disease, you know, any, any of these things that we see on a really regular basis, um, having the, the recreational space where they can focus on the fun stuff, but then I can focus on, you know, what cannabinoid and terpene combination is potentially going to be the most effective for an essential tremor, you know, or, or whatever, what is this person in front of me 
dealing with and what product is, is going to help. So like within the last couple of years, um, there, we've been really focusing on the, the minor cannabinoids. Uh, so there's, um, there's a variation of THC, which is called Delta-8 THC. Um, it seems to be the byproduct of the uh, extraction process um, or making concentrates. It, uh, but it seems to be less psychoactive and have an affinity for the gut, uh, where it seems to reduce nausea and stimulate appetite. So when we are helping cancer patients and they don't want to get high, but they have a lot of nausea, they're not eating, uh, we we have this one product in particular, it's an RSO style oil, and it has an equal amount of CBD and Delta A THC. Um, so it's something that's great, that one-to-one ratio is great for pain, but then uh, having the CBD mitigates the intoxicating effects, and the Delta 8 is going to reduce nausea and stimulate appetite. So that one product can can deal with four or five different issues uh, that someone going through chemo or cancer treatments might be experiencing. Um, so that's that's really been my focus the last couple of years is um, how, how do we, and, and my focus in medical has really been how do we use these different products for their best intent. Well, you just said, I mean, that's wild. I mean, the the distinction between we would always say, you know, medical and medical and recreational, it's all the same plant. Right. But um, you saying, you know, and clarifying just that attention to sanitation. Right. I mean, that being a clear difference and a clear reason why you need to have two systems. That's one of the best arguments I've heard. And, you know, it's wild that we're talking about this now during coronavirus when people are very conscious of sanitary and human contact and, you know, compromised immune systems and all that, um, which, you know, leads me to the next part. That's you guys who are on, who are on the front lines, you know, who are, who are working at dispensaries. And I know you've done everything from bud tending to cultivation to, you know, working on strains and products for individuals with different ailments. Um, you know, there's so much, you're supplementing the medical system so much in a way that's really undocumented, you know, because a lot of these people, there's kind of a set and, you know, you can diagnose somebody and I diagnose maybe isn't the right word, you know, but you have an idea because you've had so many people come in who have had, let's say, you know, chemo related nausea, you know, that you've got a pretty good sense based on their comfort level and how high they're willing to get what's going to work for them. And that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of individualized medicine that most people can't afford and don't ever get, you know, and it's kind of almost bringing it back to the old school, you know, the old school apothecary and medicine person and, you know, herbalist saying, hey, you know, we mix this up and take this for, for, for this. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I've been, I, I personally don't believe that there's a, a better place in the industry for, for me. Um, I've been able to, I don't want to use the word experiment, but I've kind of been able to experiment over the last four years uh, with with these cannabis products and, and people coming in. And um, uh, another uh, another good example of, of kind of how my my thoughts on cannabis have evolved through uh, through trial is um, is a situation like post traumatic stress. Um, when I like when people first started coming in with PTSD. 
you know, I was like, oh, well, you need CBD because you don't want anything that's going to be stimulating and you don't want any intoxicating effects. Um, but over the course of several years, you know, people were like, CBD is not doing anything. It's not having any effect or benefit. And, you know, of course, if somebody has found something that is, is working for them or helps, then that is the best. But just kind of what I have seen, um, so we, we started increasing the, the levels of the THC in the products uh, that people were using. So we started using uh like distillate products and products that had 70, 80, 90% THC, minimal other cannabinoids, minimal terpenes. Uh, and we, those, when we finally started to get to those really, really high potencies, the, the feedback became significantly better. Um, and, you know... Uh, That's the, funny because the, that, that, really is, that really is counterintuitive. Sorry, was that? I said that is, that is totally counterintuitive. You know that right? Exactly. Exactly. You would think that well, if someone is experiencing this overstimulation or, or whatever, however PTSD is presenting itself. You know, you you wouldn't want to exacerbate that with too much THC. Um, but when you look at uh, what the doctor that I do pretty much most of my research through his name is Dr. Ethan Russo. Um, he has this theory of clinical endocannabinoid deficiency where basically our bodies don't produce enough cannabinoids. So supplementing with the cannabis plant is beneficial. Uh, so in a case like PTSD where they find that the part of the brain that interacts with THC is diminished, it seems that adding and stimulating that with high levels of THC might be effective. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm, you know, I, I'm not doing clinical studies. This is just kind of what I'm seeing. But I've, I've been very lucky to be on the front lines and to work with people to, to kind of figure these things out. Well, and you mentioned it's, it, it is amazing. And like you said, you are, you are in a unique position because you have enough scale, too. You know, I mean, to be able to get right. feedback and, you know, Seattle, I think, and, you know, is, is probably one of the epicenters, just the amount of, you know, sort of knowledge um, and sort of, you know, entrepreneurial and even medical tech that's out there is probably one of the best sure. places to be. And, you know, Dr. Russo is somebody who's, you know, very famous for um, for all of his amazing work. So um, I'm curious before I talk about COVID stuff. um, what is the, you mentioned Delta eight, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. that is already so far advanced and ahead of the curve. Um, what are you seeing as far as other minor cannabinoids? You know, I know CBG is being added to CBD, um, and, and especially terpenes, um, because yeah. I think that's a lot of, a lot of theory too. So, uh, what's kind of, what's happening on the cutting edge? Sure. Um, you know, I, as we're seeing these better terpene and cannabinoid profiles, CBG is definitely one that we're really interested in um, and seeing more products. We've lovingly started referring to it as CB giggles as everything that we've tried with CBG in it just seems to be really mood enhancing. Um, and that might be that it's interacting with serotonin receptors throughout the body. Um, Leafly is really doing something interesting with um, their terpenes.
skinny cannabinoid flower shape profile. Um, and I, I think within the you know the next couple of years we're, we're going to start to move away from these strain names, which are fun but don't necessarily give you as much information as you need unless you know the specific lineage of the plant. Um, which most people don't, uh, you know, you'll, eventually you'll be able to, to read and understand these cannabinoid and terpene profiles and either be like, this is a shape that I like, this is a shape I don't like, this shape and color profile looks really interesting. Um, I, I personally, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a set and setting kind of guy, so I'll usually have five or six vapes, flowers, tinctures, at any one time um and i definitely try to look for things with uh limonene and terpinoline for during the day that seem to be a bit more uh stimulating and invigorating um uh, bisabolol is a terpene that um is uh, found in chamomile and is really relaxing and floral um valentine is uh found in valencia oranges and that gives you a nice rich citrus flavor um wow so i mean I, yeah it's it's such yeah. a it's so it's so empowering the you know when you do find something and to be able to have that level of selection available too i mean i had you know terpinoline that was the first time that i ever smelled that when i was like oh that's that haze smell that i love and exactly. I know that all that haze bud, you know, makes me feel good. And so it was the first time I saw a readout and I saw the strain had a high amount of that. I was like, oh, that's what that is, you know? So it's super empowering when you start figuring this stuff out, but it's also all about access and being able to actually get that. And that's where, you know, you guys being so far ahead, um, you know, in general, what's been the, to kind of zoom, zoom out, you know, have you guys, do you think found a good balance of you know, supply and, and demand, um, you know, is there, is there kind of too much bureaucracy Have things sort of settled in? Like I know Washington's known for having really high tax rate and, um, sure. you know, but, uh, how, um, has it, has yeah. it kind of settled you know, in? The, the state's pretty much one third partners with the growers and the retailers. There's, there's about 47% tax, uh, but that is uh, in line with what the, the alcohol excise tax is here. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it definitely took the first two, three years of recreational legalization was the Wild West. Everybody thought, everybody that had gotten a license thought that they struck oil and they thought that they had a golden ticket. And a lot of people realized very quickly that they now had to actually do the work. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, no shit. It's funny how these valuations trade. It's funny how these valuations change when you have to like break ground, and your license is not worth that thing on paper. Right. Exactly. At, at the end of the day, you know, we, we're we're seeing these companies that have these multi-billion-dollar valuations realize that it's a very tightly regulated, highly taxed product, and they're going to be selling joints, grams, and and eights for. You know, the average ticket's going to be like 40 bucks. It's going to be very hard to justify a multi-billion dollar valuation. Hmm. Um, but we, we really saw that early on where it was really difficult to get consistent supply. Um, again, no, very few 
people had ever grown in a warehouse at 30,000 square feet. So that was something that took a long time and a lot of investment to, you know, the, the plumbing and the HVAC for something like that had to be invented and, and really figured out. So, um, you know, now we, we have really great supply. We have really great partners um, that we're able to really see consistency. Um, and I, I think that's the next big thing in, in the industry is when you go to the store, being able to get a very the same or very similar product time after time instead of every single time you smoke weed, it's, it's different. Right. Um, so that's that's definitely something that we're we're seeing and we're finally really able to, to get to and especially for what we do on the medical side one of the the big major frustrations of the first few years was someone would find something that would help them sleep or help with their pain and the company wouldn't produce it again or they would go out of business or they didn't feel like growing that same plant the next year because it didn't produce well um, so now, now things have really been dialed in, um, and and I think yeah, like as I was saying, I think consistency is going to be kind of the next big step. Yeah, it's um, you know, I don't think that we've I don't think that we've reached enough scale, you know, and I think that a part of it All is right. the the regulation and the startup costs are so much that there's not really enough place like. Uh, you know, the brewing industry is huge here in Vermont as it is out there in the PN dub. And, um, you know, having like, I'm thinking of the brewery in Brattleboro that only makes sour beers, right? You know, you need to have a big enough industry that you can be that kind of specialist and people can, you know, can go get that consistently. And I think a lot of it, you know, the startup costs and the cost of regulation, um, like you said, the dispensaries here in, in Vermont have had that issue. And a lot of it's just, you know, they can't legally grow enough plants to consistently exactly. make things. And they don't have enough plants to even just, you know, even making RSO and stuff like that. So um, in your experience, I mean, having gone through the scale up, which, you know, it seems like no matter what, there's nothing but experience that can prepare you for that. Right. Because just like every grow space is different. Um, right. Getting into a, you mentioned doing an, you know, an 80 hundred light grow. That's absolutely massive. I mean, it must be nice not to have to pay the electric bill, but still, <laughs> you know, how do you dial that in? And, yeah. and, and is there any way to learn that besides doing it? Um, well, I mean, we're, luckily there, there are people that have been doing it for a couple of years. So I feel like, you know, that, again, it, it's, you have to be careful because um, everyone is trying to make a buck. But there are consultants out there that have been growing at scale for a long time um, and can potentially help circumvent and pass the, you know, skip those, uh, those stumbling steps or getting started. Um, help, help you skip the mistakes is probably what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely ways... Um, you know, a lot of people thought that because they grew really good plants in their basement, that that was going to scale to a warehouse. And a lot of us didn't realize that, oh, hey, if you have a warehouse, there might be some light leaks or there might be some gaps where air can get in and it's going to affect your temperatures and your humidity. Um, 
So the people that we're seeing that are really being the most successful in the industry are people that were general contractors and engineers and people who know how to set up and build the facilities so that they're really in control of the inputs. Um, same thing with outdoors. If you can um, if you can get your outdoor grow to have really good companion crops and cover crops and beneficial insects and um, if you can build up the biodiversity so that the, the land can take care of your plants and if a bug comes, there's another bug there to eat it and you don't have to spray pesticides or worry about losing your whole harvest. Um, there, there are definitely people that now have that, that knowledge and that education that could potentially help you know, someone in, a, in an emerging market uh, get it figured out. Definitely. Well, I mean, that's, um, yeah, there's yeah. Also a lot of, there's also a lot of people who are going to tell you that, you know, like, I could, if you were to look at my resume, I could probably be like, oh, yeah, let me come and set up your grow and, and charge a big consulting fee. But I've never done the legwork on setting up something like that. I've, I've worked it. I could come in and train people. But there are definitely things that other people would be better at that I might not know so you know if you do go with a consultant just kind of verifying what their actual experience is right i mean yeah we've seen so many it really is the wild west in all the worst ways um and we've seen a lot of that happen with with hemp you know and people come in as speculators and they're going to build a processing facility and they'll buy it all then for x dollars and blah 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 sure you know where the seeds are bunk and um Unfortunately, it's just, you know, the transition's not easy. Um, right. But I want to get to, you know, kind of present day. Um, sure. You are, you know, if you can maybe give me a little bit of a, more of a profile sort of, of of the company at which you work and sort of how your locations are and just sort of a sense of the, a sense of the scale because I want to get a sense of kind of what you guys are doing on the regular and, and kind of what the scene's like out there you know, pot shops on every corner or um, kind of what's, how, how does your vibe usually work in regular times? Sure. Um, so uh, I work uh, for a dispensary uh, called the Novel Tree, um, and I work in the Novel Tree Medical, uh, which is the medical offshoot. Uh, it's, it's just a family-owned, husband-and-wife-owned store. We only have the one location. Um, they were... They were one of the early stores to open in November of 2014, uh, 2015, God, four, four or five years ago. Um, but, you know, I, I got very lucky. They're, they're the owners are the sweetest people in the world, and we really just kind of share this mindset of, of what this should look like. Um, where we are, uh, we're in Bellevue, Washington, so we're just outside of Seattle, uh, and we're kind of in the shadow of, of Mike, in the Microsoft campus, uh, so it is a little bit of a, a higher-end area, um, so we can kind of, you know, not be bougie about it, but we can kind of be a, a boutique dispensary, um, and you know, we, we definitely really focus on having very high quality, very clean cannabis. But then we also work really hard to have um, still really high quality, still really clean, uh, but more budget products as well. You can get a pesticide-free ounce for under $100 right now with taxes and everything. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, 
so we, we try to, you know, take care of everybody. Um, as, as to numbers and stuff, that's not really my area to speak to. But we're, I mean, we're a, a busy place. Um, there's only three dispensaries in our area. Um, but, I mean, there's dozens within a 20, 30-minute drive. Um, so people definitely have a choice. Uh, so we work really hard that our customer service and our education is you know, is really just some of the best in the industry. That's that's what we really work towards. Um, when when we hire a new employee, they're, they're spending a week in training um, and classroom-style training as well as on-floor training before they're making a sale. And there are plenty of dispensaries where you get hired and they throw you on a register and you don't know the products, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and, and that's fine and fun, but, you know, some... If someone comes in and, you know, they need help finding something to help them sleep or stress or anxiety or pain, that that uh, training is, is really beneficial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, like you said, being in a competitive environment is something that's hard for us on the East Coast to imagine. Because right now there's like, there's the closest dispensary, right? And that's the only... Right. There's, and like, right. And like for us in Vermont, that means like Massachusetts, unless you're a medical patient, in which case there's still only five in the state, you know? So like you're looking at a 90 minute drive if you're a patient potentially, um, you know, if you live up here in the sticks, like where I'm at, but you know, being in that competitive environment, um, and like you said, having, serving that demo seems pretty, pretty awesome on the, on the rec side too, having, being part of that tech scene. And uh, you guys are near the Seahawks. You guys are near the Seahawks training facility too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I know the, the now that the NFL now yeah. that the NFL has updated their collective bargaining agreement, is it okay to ask if you guys have ever served any NFL players before? Uh, uh, <laughs> That's okay. I, um, you know, I, to be honest, at, at some point in the last five or six years, yes, I, I have sold uh, in the off season to to someone in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> That's sick. And, you know, of course, I don't want anyone getting in trouble, but, you know, like, these, we, I've heard stories of after the game, there's just bottles of painkillers uh, that are open up on tables and people are free to just grab whatever opioids they want. And these guys know that, you know, they're not looking to get stoned. These are world-class athletes who just don't want to be in pain and don't want to be addicted to pain medications. Um, yeah, I, I mean, think I think those those athlete uh, those athlete testimonials Sorry, are. I said those athlete testimonials are really powerful because I think uh, I think they're really helping to speed things up, especially NFL players who are, you know, Absolutely. they're kind of they're held up as being like the toughest people and. Uh, you know, you've seen enough people come out and there's a lot of NFL player activists and, you know, they did update that in the collective bargaining agreement. So I think we're going to see, you know, we're going to see NFL players endorsing weed companies pretty soon. And that's going to be sick. Sure. I mean, uh, I know, um, Lofa Tatupo, um, who was, uh, who played here in Seattle. I know he has, uh, a CBD company, um, 
I know that there's a lot of other one, uh, former players that are endorsing it and using these products as well. And I mean, that's something, honestly, that I, I think for myself is something I, I'd be interested in doing is potentially working for somebody like the Seattle Seahawks and helping their players use... Dude, in-house, in-house Seahawks and strains? And wow. ...and bath salts and stuff to, to help with their recovery. Wow, that's, you know, that's not that crazy of a scenario, thinking about having, uh, yeah. like, THC, you know, soaks in the, in the you know, in the hot tubs and the um, things and, like, integrating that treatment in. And, like, the Seahawks are a smart enough franchise that they would do something like that. So, I, uh, you got my vote, man. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely something where, you know, we're never the first place that somebody comes for their medical needs, but we're, we're usually the last. We're usually the last hope that a lot of people have. And so we tend to see very severe and intense cases. And, you know, it's it's not a silver bullet. It's, it's something that takes time to figure out what your best method of consumption is, what which potency, which dosage, there's a lot of people who, if they would just smoke a bowl, would get tremendous benefit, but they're just never going to smoke. Um, so we, we've been really lucky. Um, oh no, man, it's going to be, I was going to say it's a bad, it's a bad, uh, it's a bad time to be in the smoking, in the smoking business, um, you know, period with people freaking out and I'm, uh, Although I think it's important for people to differentiate cigarette smoking and cannabis smoking, but you know, weed sure. weed smoking is getting a bad rap out there, and that's you know by far I think one of the best methods, especially for getting immediate feedback. You know, um, right? Exactly. You know, well, so that's the best of times. You know, since all this crazy shit has gone down, and you guys are in Seattle, you know, Seattle area. Um, so, you know, not even just weed-wise, but how did this thing kind of lay out for you? Like, what was your consciousness of COVID-19 as a thing to, holy shit, to where you're at now? Like, how'd that, how'd that run in, in Seattle and kind of, you know? Um, I mean, it was, it was freaky for a little while. Um, you know, it was definitely not really on anyone's radar um, until there was a case here. Um, you know, we had, you know, I, I'm very lucky that I do have some downtime at work. So I, uh, I do read, tend to read the news while I'm there. And so I, I was kind of aware that this thing was, was happening and was spreading, but you know, for a long time, it seemed like something that was happening far away. Um, and then to have the first U S case, I mean, that place is 10, 15 minutes from my house. So we, I feel like Seattle responded very quickly, um, which I, I think, you know, when we start looking at the numbers now, it was, was kind of beneficial for us. But, I mean, there was a lot of panic for a, a while, and, you know, there was a run on grocery stores, and um, there was there was a run on weed. People thought that we were going to close, and um, so we, we definitely had probably some of our busiest uh, highest sale grossing days uh, ever because of all this um, and people were just you know get stocked up for a month at a time uh, you were just saying I mean it was it was like you know the worst time to cut off you were just saying that you know run on the weed stores which 
I would imagine because it's like guns, gold, and ganja. You know, people start start panicking. And uh, do you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess on the medical side, there's probably not as much of a limit. So were people just coming in and buying like hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of worth of bud? Um, so in, in Washington, um, there there definitely is a recreational limit uh, of one ounce of flour, seven grams of concentrates, and then. Uh, good amount of edibles and then if you have the medical authorization you can purchase three times that so three ounces 21 grams of concentrates um so yeah i mean we we definitely saw um quite a few people you know a lot of our customers are, are older and so they already shop for a month or so at a time um but there were definitely people who thought that we were going to be closed for several months and there it was going to affect the supply uh so we we definitely had people purchasing two to three times what they normally would um and that you know that was before we were uh, deemed essential um once once that happened and people realized that we weren't closing um we we did kind of change how we operated um like restaurants we can only do online and call ahead orders so people can't come in uh and you know chat with us and go over the products the way that we we really used to and and we really like to um but we're still taking orders over the phone and answering any questions that people have um that's great are you guys doing are you guys doing like zoom zoom appointments and you know um I, I think, of, you know, not, not yet, not now, but um, I do think that, especially with what I do, um, with, with the medical aspect of it, uh, I, could, I could see myself, you know, working from home and just doing Skype or Zoom consultations uh, and then having people go to, go to the store, have the order ready at the store. Um, I also see this could lead to, um, to delivery services. Um, you know, if people aren't supposed to be leaving their houses and we're delivering everything else, um, in Washington, uh, you can't deliver to somebody's home, you know, just cause they don't want it to go get the kids or, or anything like that. Uh, but if this goes on much longer, I, I could see them opening up, uh, letting us make, uh, deliveries and letting people stay in their homes. I think this is really showing, uh, you know, I mean, both things that you just said, you know, the way that people work and what they do and how many people are working remotely right now, um, I think is really going to change people's minds after this is all calmed down uh, about kind of how work actually happens. And then, right. you know, um, to your second point about delivery, thinking about what regulations are necessary and which ones aren't, you know, I mean, there's a scenario in which Vermont fast tracks this legislation, you know, because our tax and regulate was kind of it had passed both chambers and it was going to be discussed in a conference committee and then sent to the governor's office. And that would be a whole other question. But our legislature is on a time limit, at least was before. And so, you know, I as an advocate and as a registered lobbyist, you know, technically, I'm not even going to ask any legislators about cannabis policy for another few weeks at least, you know, because sure. myself and however many tens of thousands of other people just signed up for unemployment. And, you know, we're we're going to be really fucked over here with like a tourism based economy. And, um, right. you know, like we're we're good in some sense that, you know, we have agricultural and like strong communities and 
good communication. So like I know farms where I can go get shit, but uh, economically we're going to be really hurting up here in Vermont for a while. So it's, um, you know, the fact that you guys were, were deemed essential it's it's really been interesting to see kind of how what do you you know what does society really deem necessary and for us in Vermont you know take out liquor take out cocktails is allowed because we need to do something to keep these bars and restaurants alive because you know that's like tourism is more than half our economy so um, you guys being deemed essential really kind of reveals and all the other states where it's been deemed essential you know I think reveals that cannabis is you know, is that, is part of the American lifestyle now? Sure, and, you know, and, and kind of to that point, too, they are definitely appreciative of the tax revenue. They're appreciative that, you know, there's people employed that aren't going on to unemployment right now, and the people that are sitting at home and, and really worrying about what the next step and the next thing is going to be, well, at least they have some weed, and you know, to help them deal with that anxiety, and, and you know, any, well, no shit, man. It's a. You worry, it's it's hilarious because the memes going around, right? Like these next generation of kids are going to be raised by day drinking, you know, are going to be homeschooled by day drinkers, exactly. and like, you know, I think I think alcohol is, you know, I don't know if consumption is going up because you still can't go out, but. Um, you know, there's a reason why isolated places sometimes, out, you know, prohibit alcohol because it can have terrible effects on like, you know, with people being isolated and cannabis is such a much better option, even just for the average person, rather than drinking three oh, beers sure. a night, you know, I mean, like smoking one bowl per night versus drinking three beers per night is like exponentially healthier. Um, I don't have I, a, I don't, I you know, you know, I mean, um, neither yeah, I mean, of us, you know, I interspersed in, in my last 10 years of growing I, I was a bartender for a while um, and, it, and grew up working in restaurants and I have seen that alcohol just has so much more negative effects that you know nobody really at least out here to me pushes like oh well alcohol is, is okay um, you know most people I feel like are getting on board with the fact that cannabis is a, a better, safer alternative um, to a lot of our, you know, psilocybin mushrooms is all these things that were deemed evil. Well, John Hopkins is is running experiments on psilocybin mushrooms, and it seems to be pretty amazing for post-traumatic stress and and lots of other things. Absolutely. I mean, it really is, you know, it's funny because it is it cannabis is the gateway to a lot of different you know a lot of different things and most of them you know are overwhelmingly positive and uh you know i think a lot of it is whether it's you know cannabis industry funding maps research you know and people just considering you know uh if if we were lied to about cannabis then maybe we were lied to about like you said psilocybin um MDMA, you know, being used for PTSD research, like it's wild. Sure. It's wild to see all this coming around and people sort of waking up. So, um, what do you, you know, right. how do you see, how do you see kind of the, the recreational and, you know, and medical scene changing as a result of this? I mean, you talked about delivery. That seems like a no, you know, kind of a no brainer in the, in the future here, but, um, you know, what do you guys see going ahead for, for you as a, a dispensary? I mean, you know, people are still employed, which is awesome. Um, Absolutely. 
but kind of what do you guys look like in the post-COVID world and, and you know, even getting through? Sure. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely, we definitely feel lucky that, you know, it's not a bar, it's not a restaurant where we have to worry about where is that revenue coming from um, other than, you know, if people don't, work or have money, then they can't necessarily buy cannabis. Um, I, I honestly <laughs> can see this um, this leading to expansion of the cannabis industry and potentially even to nationalization and full legalization. There's just so much money to be made in it and so many jobs, and I know that that's not the idealistic way. Of course, a lot of people will benefit from it, but we're at a point where you know there's a hundred thousand jobs in the cannabis industry it's generating billions of dollars in tax revenue and you know we're at a place where that's really important for rebuilding uh the economy which is basically collapsed at this point um so i i definitely see at least expansion um and and kind of an embrace of the cannabis industry because again we're right now in washington we're still generating tax revenue and there's very few other things that are generating tax revenue we're keeping the lights on um and and i can see that you know how much money are we spending fighting weed still and how much money are we spending keeping people in jail that's that's something i think about every day there's people in jail for years for selling less weed than I sold at work today and that's that's something that really weighs heavy on me um but it's also something where it's going to be hard to justify keeping people in jail for something that has been deemed essential so I I think and I think that there's some pretty big and radical changes that are, are going to come out of that or out of this whole COVID Yeah, I think you're. I, I think you're right, man. That was very, very well, very, very well put, and I, I totally agree. And uh, I, I really appreciate that because we need an optimistic approach right now. And I think that it is a no-brainer. And it's, uh, you know, especially thinking about what's kind of the what's recession-proof, you know. I mean, and and what do people need, and you know, how do they get it? Um, because the, here in Vermont, you know, the black market, the black market, the illicit market, or as I like to call it, the not yet licensed market, um, (laughs) have been absolutely fucking crushing it, you know, with doing illegal deliveries since, you know, legalization passed and the authorities, you know, kind of backed off. So, um, it'd be nice to have the justice come all the way around and have it just be law, right? Um, so. Exactly. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll see. I'm sure everybody's super optimistic about the federal government right now. So, you know, we'll get there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I see that as, as a way for Trump to get some quick uh, a, a quick jump in his approval rating. Man, if if you had told me we're gonna tax it, dude. Well, I I really thought before all this shit happened, um, I was gonna you know I've been telling everybody that Trump's gonna come out and be pro weed because like. You know, that would definitely get enough, you know, that would be like a populist thing to do. And he would immediately have Trump weed, you know, and like 
fucking Kushner, like Avanc, like it just like it writes it it writes itself. You know, it's a marketing dream for him. They don't even have to change his name; they could just put it out as Kushner. Absolutely, dude. So um, I thought that he was going to use that as an ace in his back pocket. You know, sure. during the campaign season this year, and the Democrats too. That's a spiteful kind of thing that they would do too. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I mean, like that's not even like it's not the top fifty. One of my concerns with Joe Biden right now, and you know, I'm wearing a Bernie, I'm wearing a Bernie Sanders T-shirt right now that I had in, made in uh, twenty in 2015. Yeah. So you know, whatever. That's I, I am <laughs> I'm still fully in denial that Joe. Biden is the candidate. I still 100% believe that it's going to be Bernie, and he's going to take it at the convention. And Man, that I mean, is what I'm holding on to right now. Right. I. I mean, it's hard to, uh, you know, not think about the the super terrible scenario, and it's like, well, what is the convention? What is the election? You know, are we going to all do this shit online? You know, are we going to mail right. in? Like, what is even going to even going to happen? Um, sure. Well, Washington. Um, one of the really interesting things is we have automatic registry and mail-in voting. Um, so we just get an envelope a couple weeks before the election and you just mail it back in or you can drop it off at like a, a ballot box. But it's, you know, it's the easiest voting to Florida. But even then, going and going to a place and making sure you go to the right place and waiting in line. Right. You know, they, they make it really hard to vote and a lot of people would say that they do that on purpose. Oh, um, I, I'm one of those people, man. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think that we're, we're very lucky in Vermont. We have same-day registration. You know, college mm-hmm. kids can get registered to vote here. We've got absentee, early, mail-in, like, every everything. It's yeah. it's phenomenal. We're in, we're in better shape than a lot of places. So I feel, I feel very grateful Absolutely. and feel very fortunate to be here. And, um... Man, I really, really appreciate you being so generous with your time. This was really cool. You've, you know, uh, I'd love to check in with you, you know, regularly because clearly, you know, you're in a very unique position so far ahead with so much experience and having really come up through everything. So um, I'm really glad that Josh put us in, in touch and uh, and I'd love to I'd love to continue talking to you on the podcast and, and beyond, man. So thank you. Yeah, man. absolutely. All right, our thanks again to Matt Kovarski, Washington State Department of Health Certified Medical Cannabis Consultant. Dude's got a ton of experience, really cool perspective, um, and good to hear what's happening on the ground there as well. That interview with Laura was also really special. Her quotes just stuck with me um, about either being a victim or a responder when crisis hits. We appreciate her response and those of the people like Matt working on the front lines Uh, making cannabis available because we know that it is medicine. People need it. Uh, And hopefully one day we'll move beyond just the medical discussion. And just like alcohol is available during these crisis times, we'll be able to buy and sell and legally trade and gift cannabis all over the place everywhere in this great country of ours. In the meantime, uh, before we wrap up, one event announcement. No, we're not going to do anything in person, obviously. Stay inside. Stay safe. Uh, But we are going to do a virtual smoke session on 420 at 420. Big shout out to Meredith from Magic Man. Call back to last episode. We had a great interview with her talking about events in a time of the Rona, what we'll be doing. She has put together a uh, a Zoom 420. 
So we're gonna do a Zoom 420 at 420. We'll have a bunch of people around their laptops. You know, it's not the same as hanging out in person, but we're gonna make the best of this situation. So 420 at 420 on Zoom. The information's on Facebook. We'll have it on Vermont Awana. It will be in the newsletter. Shout out to Meredith from Magic Man. Also want to give a big shout out to our friend Andrew McEwing, another former person we've interviewed on the podcast. Just saw him. He wanted to tell everybody hello. Um, so from here in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, I really hope you guys are all doing well. Stay in touch, DM, send messages. We're going to try to do the podcast more frequently. And as always, just make sure that you guys are out there, even while you're inside. Elevate the state. Celebrating well aware, middle fingers in the air, like can I get a hell yeah? Participating in paper chasing familiar faces, looking for escape from these places that leave us feeling vacant. It's the dangerous trek, gotta count the paces. Never had faith in that system that trap us in them cages. Raise the stake on living, paying minimum wages. And we just keep on giving, like will somebody save us? Gotta stay prepared for the worst. The best come from how a nigga deal with the hurt. It's beauty in the dirt that you come from, so be advised. What you seeking can be more than what meets the eye. Way more than what meets the eye. Way more, way more. So when you see it, don't you be surprised. Don't you be surprised. It's way more than what meets the eye.